Amen. Thank you, Alex, Amy, Will, Laura. What a blessing it is to be together with you. I'm grateful that you are here in spirit with us. Did you hear, did you listen to that chorus just a moment ago? Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. If there's ever been an opportunity for us to live those words out, to sing them and do them, it is now certainly. I hope and pray that, as Paul said to the church at Philippi, that you're in no way disturbed by the difficult times around you, which is a sign of the destruction of the world around us, but the sign of salvation for you. I hope that that's where this time together finds you, very content in whatever situation the Lord has uh, allowed to be in your life. We pray constantly for you. I work through our our church directory and pray, and so know that your name is being lifted up before the Father. Do that to one another, would you, as the Lord brings your to your mind those who need to be lifted up, those who he's prompting you to pray for, and just pray for our congregation, lift them up, pray for the world around us, pray for those who are your neighbors. What a great opportunity you'll have, as I've been praying too, for opportunities with my neighbors, as many are home, and so let that be a blessing to you as you follow through with that. I'd like you to turn, if you would, as we return in our study today. It's a joy to get back to it. We very much enjoyed Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday, and it's good to be back in our study in Second Corinthians. God's plan for a healthy church, a study through the books of First and Second Corinthians, in particular material possessions, which is the beginning of uh, chapter 8 all the way through chapter 9, verse 15. So two chapters talking about uh, some very important things. So I'd like you to turn in your, your copy of God's Word right now, if you would, and I'd like you to read with me. I'm going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way to the end of that chapter. So it's a little bit of a longer read. But as we desire very much for the Holy Spirit to speak through his word, I think it's important that we go ahead and read it so that we're able to see him go to work. Uh, because this is where the power is. This is where our understanding lies. This is how we will come to an understanding of his way and his will for us. And so I pray today was not the first time, is not the first time that you've been in worship and song and that you've been in time in the Word. Let this be a new leaf if you need it to turn over and begin to really seek the Word every day. Chapter 8, verse 1, I'll be reading in the New American Standard. You can follow along with me in your copy of God's Word from time to time. I'll give you some verse cues to help us stay together. Paul starts out this way. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. And this, verse 5, Not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Verse 8. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Verse 10, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. 
who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. Verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there be, may be equality. As it's written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Verse 17, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness. Verse 20 taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men, verse 22. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you, verse 23. And for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. A glory to Christ. Therefore, verse 24, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. We've returned this morning, of course, to this letter, which is our, uh, the letter that we know as Second Corinthians. And Paul is tapping back in, as you can see, to his experience with the Macedonians. We saw in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, that Paul was in Troas, where he apparently was supposed to meet Titus after Titus's trip to the church in Corinth. He didn't find him, and we know that, and he is concerned about that and how difficult things may have been as the church received the difficult letter, and we don't know how, he doesn't know how it was received, and so we looked at all this, and he says, verse 13 in chapter 2, he says, I had no rest for my spirit, and so not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went to Macedonia. And then we don't hear, as we looked at a number of weeks ago, we don't hear anything about Macedonia until we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. And there, if you look there, it says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, and fears within. And he gives a little snapshot there, and we looked at all of this, of his own feelings and some of his observations. And he picked up here, right here in chapter 7, verse 5, as if he had never interrupted the story. And then he goes on to reveal that he was able to see Titus and that the news was good. And, and Paul talks about reconciliation and then he talks about faithful uh, ministry and spiritual responses and the true fruit of repentance. And then Paul ends with the section in 2 Corinthians seven sixteen, and he says this, he says, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. So that really kind of sums up everything. He'd heard enough from Titus's report to know that many had embraced godly sorrow, and uh, which had led to repentance, which led to the fruit of repentance. And he had seen that fruit, and Titus had reported all of that. And then Paul reveals that he was joyful in everything. He knew it was the real thing, and he had confidence in this new direction they were heading. And he gets to that point. And then, as he's at that point, and he knows where the church is now, he comes back around to his experience in Macedonia. And mark this, beloved, because the, the Corinthian church is in a good place spiritually, 
The Holy Spirit then carries Paul along to use the experience of the Macedonians to help the Corinthian church grow spiritually, and the subject matter has to do with giving. So it was impossible for Paul to bring this up before, and he, he, he I, no doubt, desired very much to talk with them about this. But when they get to the point where they have repented and they're shown for further repentance, and now the church is very on very solid ground, and there's a good relationship between uh, the church and Paul, he doesn't kind of rest on his laurels, if you will, but the Holy Spirit kind of brings him along, and he brings Macedonia back into this. And we know that things that were important for the early church, we've said this over and over again, things that were important for the early church to know and respond to are still important today. And so the Apostle Paul takes some time with this topic, and we will as well. And, and this is the joy, and this is the responsibility, of course, at teaching verse by verse through the Word of God. You just teach through, and you just allow the Holy Spirit to continue to guide our times and our seasons that surround this teaching. And this always happens, and it comes at the right times. And so just as it always has through all the ages of the church, it, we come to this time for us as well. And we have a young church, and I really love that about us. And we have many individuals who are not so young anymore, like myself, but uh, and some who have had the benefit of of, uh, of godly instruction in this area of material possessions, and they've seen God prove his word true over and over again, and some have not. And so uh, as we begin this section, just obviously titled God's Plan for a Healthy Church, Material Possessions, uh, this two-chapter section, along with our selected scriptures that we'll bring in, will provide a benefit to our younger people as they really establish themselves and the patterns they're setting up for their lives. And for those who aren't so young anymore and haven't had the benefit of this kind of topical study, it's going to provide a solid foundation on which to make some change in how you manage what you have and really bring that in line with where the Lord would have you. So we're going to take a very broad look at the topic, uh, including the underlying foundation of these issues. And so if you are worried about these kinds of things and uh, that maybe you won't have enough for your needs, especially in a time in our nation where the economy has some uncertainty about it and about the future, then through the course of this study, beloved, as you put into practice what we learn, what you're going to find is that God already has a plan for your security. So the really great part of this study, as we, you'll see as we work our way through, is this study isn't isolated. Scripture contains more than 500 references to prayer. It contains almost 500 references to faith. But there are more than 2,000 references to money and possessions. Out of 38 parables that Jesus told, recorded for us in the gospel, 16 deal with how to handle money and possessions. Jesus said more about money and possessions than about heaven and hell combined. And out of every 10 verses in the gospels, uh, one deals with money or possessions. So obviously the scriptures are just full of teaching about money and possessions. Proverbs chapter 11, it's a very a common book to look back on as you desire to know more about faithful use and, and handling of money. And I've told you before, in my Bible, I have marked uh, Proverbs all up, and, and every passage in Proverbs that deals with money, I've got highlighted in green, just so that as I look through there, I know and, and can at least pick them out. As it deals with childhood, uh, child rearing and all that, they're all different marks. So this is helpful, and it might be helpful for you too, as well as you think through this. But Proverbs 11.24 just kind of shows a dichotomy between uh, what the world might say to you and maybe how you've been taught or what you think about things like that, and then uh, what the scripture actually says. And so Proverbs eleven twenty four says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. That just seems uh, that it doesn't go together, right? There's one who scatters yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due. In other words, they keep hoarding and yet it results only in want. 
The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Apparently, there's then this whole other kind of thinking about the things which uh, we have, which is over and against what the culture teaches us. And, and that's just one of the topics we'll look at as we work our way through this series on material possessions. And because in order to talk about giving, there has to be a biblical view of possessions in place, which is the assumed knowledge of our passage. So there's knowledge here that he knows they have. He was with them uh, for 18 months. So he knows they have some knowledge of, of uh, a biblical view of material possessions. But we don't all have that knowledge. So we're going to take some time and make sure that we do. And this, this, this message time, we just titled it Introduction. It's going to kind of give us a cross-section of where we're going to head. And then we're going to get into the first several verses of our passage. But in order to have, uh, to talk about this giving, in order to understand what they did and understand their mindset, there's got to be a biblical view of possessions because our passage gives us a biblical model for the handling of resources as it relates to giving. And so we're going to spend some time in many places in the scripture that will help us round out our knowledge of this very important topic. And this will be for our benefit and for our blessing, no doubt. And, and we'll see that the more we understand and apply what we understand about God's view of money, and, and the desire, his desire for a healthy church, then uh, that's going to have a profound influence on all of us. And that statement probably seems counterintuitive, right? Because we may think that the last thing we want to do is subject ourselves to what makes us feel worse about something we already perhaps feel a little guilty about. And what we, what we don't give, perhaps, and, and how we do spend what we have. And so you may think it's going to be painful to hear about how to give away more about what you may be so reluctantly to be... Uh, separated from. And so it certainly isn't my intention to make you feel badly any more than it was Paul's intent to make the Corinthian church feel badly, especially at the point in his relationship with them where there had been reconciliation and growth on their part, and they were back to a point where they could grow spiritually and mature in their faith. And this was the lesson then that the Holy Spirit carried Paul along to teach. And my desire really is to, to give you the opportunity to feel better by by giving you a biblical foundation that will put you on that road. Now, as we pointed out, the title is God's Plan for a Healthy Church, and, and the focus is in, in this health is material possessions. Uh, this, is, this is what the church needed here in Corinth. It's what the church still needs in order to be healthy. And, of course, we could have titled the whole message series, God's Plan to Make You Wealthy. And, of course, that may have generated a greater audience, at least initially, but um, that wouldn't have been entirely untrue in more ways than just materially, because even the most cursory reading of the scriptures certainly indicates a richness of life as a reward for faithfulness. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 particularly says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then on in Proverbs chapter 15 verse 6, it says, great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is the income of the wicked. Now, beloved, those are not my words. Those are the words of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul is leaving the churches in Ephesus, and he says to them, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which, he says, is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, mark this, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we don't know where the Lord said that, but obviously the Apostle Paul does. And perhaps he was given that direct instruction by the Lord. 
And so we understand that's what the Lord says. So just kind of sum up that passage, which we'll see again in the future, but work hard to provide for your needs. It's a very common topic throughout the scriptures. Help those with less than you. Uh, give away what you have, and giving away what you have will result in more blessing than being on the receiving end of giving. This is the kind of instruction that we see found everywhere in the scripture. And we'll see as we move through this section that our security is found in the Father as opposed to our portfolio, which perhaps has brought, been brought more to your attention in the last several weeks or to month. Maybe you're a little worried about that portfolio. Maybe that's where your heart was, and maybe you think, I'm not going to live long enough to see that rebuilt. Well, perhaps this is a good lesson at this particular time that your security was never there to begin with. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 is very clear about that. It says, make sure that your character, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Those are remarkable words, are they not? Particularly in this time period, how appropriate it is for us to, uh, the Lord bringing us to this point. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. It's really hard to know that, isn't it? Until perhaps you lose something or a lot of what you're so hesitant to be separated from. It's a story of a wealthy fisherman who was disturbed to find another fisherman kind of sitting lazily beside his boat. You may have heard this story. He asked him, he said, why aren't you out there fishing? He said, well, because I've caught enough fish for the day. He continued, well, why don't you go ahead and continue to catch more fish if you can? And the fisherman said, well, what would I do with them? Well, he says, you could earn more money. That was the impatient reply. You could buy a better boat. You could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and, and make more money. And soon you'd have a whole fleet of boats and be rich like me. And then the fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit down and enjoy life, said the businessman. The fisherman looked peacefully across the water and replied, what do you think I'm doing now? First Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to look at this much more in depth in the future, kind of segues right into this. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. This is perspective then on what you have, perhaps what you have now, and even in relation to what perhaps you had a month ago. Because contentment is always found together with God's provision, beloved. A faithfulness to him and what he says in his word provide the foundation for our security. And contentment plays an important role. And Paul had a, a lot more to say to his son in the faith, and we're going to look at it just in a cross-section here. But he goes on to describe the reality of life here in the Shadowland. He says this in 1 Timothy 6, 7. He says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can, can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Wouldn't you enjoy Paul saying that to you? Maybe not so much. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. It just makes it take a hard look at everything around us, doesn't it? Are we would be we content be content with just a roof over our head and food and, and some clothing? But those who want to get rich, Paul says, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And beloved, that doesn't mean that wealth is bad, but the attitude we bring to it can be sinful. And Paul cautions about this in verse 17. He says this, he says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world 
And I like how he delineates between this present world and the one to come. You may be rich in this present world and very poor in the one that you're going to inherit. Or you may be wealthy here and wealthy there as well. Or you may be very poor monetarily here and extremely wealthy in the one that's going to last forever. But, but Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, wealth isn't bad. It's just as we look at it, where is our source? See, God who richly supplies with us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, he says, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So, as we read the Bible, we're going to soon find, as it concerns wealth, that we are not supposed to pursue it, that we are not supposed to trust in it, we are to attribute all wealth to God because He is the source of it. And we're going to see more about all of those things, but there is certainly no refuting that the handling of money and possessions in a biblical manner brings great liberty, it brings satisfaction and contentment, it is joy-filled, and it brings blessing. We can just kind of sum those things up with just a few verses that we read, and we'll look back more closely at them and some many, many other ones as well as we go through the study and help you get a good balance and understanding and a solid foundation to stand on as we talk about these kinds of things. Now, because our home-based passage will be 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we're always going to start here. So we're still going to work verse by verse through these passages. We're just going to provide the underpinnings that we need in order to understand how to get to this point. Because as soon as we begin to read this, you're going to think, I'm not sure I've ever been there, perhaps. Or you're going to think, wow, that's that's a tough nut to crack, and I'm not sure I could do that. Or you may be thinking, that's where I want to be. And any of those things, uh, we're going to go in the right direction so you can understand how to do it and then do it. So look there if you would. We're going to go uh, back and forth uh, through uh, this passage, but look at verses 1 and 2. We'll just get our footing, and uh, then we'll move on through as the Lord gives us time. So look at verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Look at verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. There's just so much there, beloved. There's so much there. Paul simply gives us their circumstances, and he gives us their character traits. So in this great moment of teaching for the Corinthian church, at a time when they've come and they've begun to long for Paul, they want to hear his teaching, they want to have fellowship with him, they want to hear him again. He doesn't waste any of it. He jumps right in here because his experience in Macedonia has been so impactful on him that he wants to make sure that he shares this, and they become then the example of what faithful New Testament giving looks like. And so there are a couple of things he's going to point out here. Number one, they were recipients of the grace of God. And he just says that. My brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. It was apparent to Paul that God was at work in this church, and they the, re- the recipients of the special giving of grace that had occurred because it was so obvious that they were walking with the Lord here. So at some point, it was obvious that the Holy Spirit had begun to work in this church, in this area of giving, and bearing this fruit, that Paul could see. And then secondly, they were having a hard time. And we noted that before when Paul mentioned that when he arrived. Remember in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, remember what Paul said? So he comes from Troas, and he comes to Macedonia, and in verse 5 he says, for even when we came into Macedonia, what happened? Our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, and fears within. So he comes from Troas, he's very troubled, he comes to Macedonia, and things are not easier there. Paul obviously still troubled by all the uh, things going on in the Corinthian church, but 
where he, he walks into these churches in Greece and he's, he's just like, wow, this, this looks like a very difficult time. So Paul's speaking of his experience with the Macedonian churches. That would be Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. So those three churches considered the churches of Macedonia, and it is likely that he is still in Philippi, and he's writing this letter. So he's met Timothy, or he's met Titus, rather, and he then is writing this letter. After hearing Titus's report, he pins these words back. And, and they apparently don't just have flipsis, which that is, that is the, uh, the, uh, uh, affliction, which we've seen over and over again. They don't just have that. They have pressing pressure. They have a great testing of pressure. So a great ordeal of affliction. So not just slipsis, but a great ordeal of pressing pressure. And it says they are experiencing bathos potica. That's deep poverty. And that's an interesting word. It's one we haven't looked at before. Bathos is literally the word for deep water. And potica is the, is the word for destitution. And so Paul says they were in very pressing pressure, very great ordeal of affliction, and they're very deep in destitution. So they didn't have much then in the way of material possessions, see? And that is an understatement. Paul identified their situation as deep poverty, destitute, deep, the deep water, if you will, literally, of poverty. And then he plays on the words, and he says this. Now look how he does this. This is just amazing. He says, he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, what does it, what did it do? It overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So Paul plays on the words. They were very open-handed, in other words, in their giving. In other words, now mark the wording. They're in a deep pool of poverty, but in that deep pool, something was happening that nobody expected. And they overflowed. Eris active indicative. Parasuo. That's the point of the deep pool of poverty and this great testing. The grace of God was at work, apparently, and how? In the wealth of their liberality. See. They vastly overflowed in this pool. And, and what overflowed was their liberality. And the word wealth, liberality, the wealth of their liberality, this word wealth here is the same word we just looked at a minute ago, uh, three times in four verses in First Timothy 6. That's the word for riches. And their liberality was really an opening of their heart. That's what it means. Or manifesting itself in generosity. Literally, a simplicity of mind about material things. It wasn't complex for them. The grace of God helped them understand some things about material possessions, and that made Paul's experience with him so impactful to him, so impactful in fact, that, mark this, that the Holy Spirit carried him along to make them the example of New Testament giving for all the ages. That's remarkable, isn't it? And it's kind of nice as we think about this, we think about their position in a deep pool of poverty. So he could have picked the middle class. I mean, he could have picked a rich person, right? And said, okay, they were very generous and whatever. And we would have said, well, of course, because they had plenty to give. So he starts really down here where most of us have been from time to time, perhaps still are, where you just have a very difficult time making the money stretch to the end of the month. And then he uses them as the example then for New Testament giving for everybody to see. Now look at 2 Corinthians 8.3. Will you do that? And you can see where we're going to go with the study. It is just so full, and it's so important for us to grasp these concepts. And we will as we look at the, really the foundation of material possessions as it works its way through the Bible. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.3, For I testify, so he's in Philippi, and he's still surrounded by all of this, so, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So how liberal were they? That's how liberal they were. Three things from the verse that are very important to note. Number one, they did what they were able to do. So it was proportionate. 
And we'll come back to this, so you can jot this down, but this will cycle around all uh, over and over again as we give the, really the basics for New Testament giving. It was proportionate. They went beyond what they could do, because that's what it says, and beyond their ability, so it was sacrificial. So it was proportionate in what had come in, and then or what they had, and then it was also sacrificial, and then it says they gave of their own accord, which means what? They chose to do it. Not out of compulsion or manipulation or somebody making them feel badly about it. See, they wanted to do it. And we're going to see how badly they wanted to do it here in just a minute. And then I just want to back up to verse 2. All of that ended up doing what to them? Did it make them sad? Oh, man, I wish I didn't have to give so much away. Long face. You know, I'm not going to have enough for the end of the month. All of that. No. What does it say? Back at verse 2. It ended up bringing them what? Great joy. See. Now look at verse 4 if you would. 2 Corinthians 8, 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. So here it is. They found so much blessing and so much joy, because that's what it says in verse 2, in handling what they had in the way that was pleasing to God, that they asked, mark this, they asked and they pleaded for an opportunity to do it. And that word favor is very interesting. They looked at it as charis. That's the word for grace. In other words, they considered it an undeserved blessing. Mark this. They considered it an undeserved blessing to participate in giving away a lot of what they didn't have a lot of to begin with. Now, that's our beginning. And Paul is carried along here to use these churches of Macedonia as the example then of New Testament giving. And we're going to continue to work our way through these two passages, these two chapters, but as I'm sure you will have to admit now, just the first four verses, they're a tall order, aren't they? Right? I mean, think about it. To be, and I really want you to put this on if you can, right there in the privacy of your own home. Okay. To, to be at the place where you find giving so rewarding, and Jesus said, right, as Paul noted for us, it's more blessed to Give than to what? So, so this is not unusual, not unusual teaching, and not unusual uh, character traits here. To be at a place where you find giving so rewarding, and where it brings so much joy and so much satisfaction, and where there is so much fulfillment and so much freedom and so much generosity, that you're looking for opportunities to give because you know the benefit that comes from it, both now and in eternity. Now, just kind of put that on, will you? Just see how that fits. And I, I pray, my prayer for you really is, is that we go through the passages and we work our way through all these things in this study, in these two chapters, that those set of clothes, which are the ones the Lord wants us to wear, become, begin to be tailored, and you begin to fit into them as the Lord would have you do it. Now look at verse 5. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this, not as we had expected, so apparently uh, Paul was surprised. He didn't expect this wonderful act of generosity. He understood their circumstances. He was there with them. No doubt there had been letters back and forth between Paul and, and they, and they, he understood their difficult times, the hardship that they were in. So he says this openly as he writes back to the folks in, in Corinth. He says, and this not as we expected. He didn't expect this generosity. So Paul's just reaching back and he's saying, you know, this was a wonderful surprise. So I showed up here to see the Holy Spirit at work, the grace of God at work in the church. This was a wonderful surprise, which led him to say the grace of God's at work in this church. 
So, and this, not as we expected, but they, mark this, first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And beloved, I want you to mark this because this is a principle that's really evidenced by the circumstances and character traits that we see here in the church and certainly in all those who've embraced this type of understanding of material possessions. Paul Paul understood that the Macedonians did not only give their money out of compassion for the Judean Christians, which is what this offering is all about, and we'll get to that, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, which was the way he could move them to do what they did. See, Because you're not going to, as we say often, pull this out of your hat. There's going to have to be a relationship with the Lord that is very genuine. And a, and a solid understanding of material possessions and really your own life and all that's summed up and how the Lord provides for all that you have before you're going to get to this point. And we see that they first gave themselves to the Lord for that purpose. And we're going to see this repeated over and over again, but here it is. The way we handle our material possessions is always a barometer of our spirituality. And I say this often when you look online and you check your bank account, you look at how you're expending your money, when you see where it all goes, that is a barometer of what's important to you. So, as a footnote, you know, first in eight, chapter eight, verse five, there's a priority and importance and order. It's it's first in position. So he says this, but they first gave. So in priority and importance and in order, that was first to give themselves to the Lord preeminent above all things. And then Paul says that the Macedonians gave themselves to him and his colleagues as well as to the Lord. And and again, this is a teachable moment. And it, now that you know all the history of the Corinthian church, it's important that Paul says this, right? They gave themselves to him as well. The churches of Macedonia were committed to following Paul's leadership. Uh, they didn't have a skewed opinion of him. They didn't think he just wanted their money. Uh, they wanted to participate in the collection to help the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And they pestered Paul for the opportunity to do it. And Paul wants the church in Corinth, who has recently been reconciled back to him through repentance, to know what it looked like, what it looked like to trust their pastor. And, and first, he said, giving themselves to the Lord, which just indicates a spiritual walk, and that walk is hand in hand with a positive relationship to Paul. And so the teaching moment here in the Corinthian church will be, that as they apply themselves, to act this same way. And we're going to see that later as Paul really enforces this whole thing as we get deeper into chapter 8. Because since considering where they've been, uh, we'll see that they are best, at best, late in responding, and at worst, out of step with God completely, and the apostle, and the believers everywhere else. Because we saw just kind of a foot, as we kind of uh, gave an idea where we were going to go, we said, as you first thought about it a year ago. So everybody else was already doing it, and they're certainly out of step with the other churches and believers everywhere else, and, and late at best. In responding, and so Paul's going to encourage them catch up. Now, as I said already, as you as you read these first five verses, you may be thinking, "How do I get there?" Because most of us would have to admit that we aren't there. Giving joyfully, giving generously, uh, look, giving sacrificially, looking for opportunities, and, and we need the grace of God to help us get there. And and that's going to begin just obviously with a biblical view of material things. We're going to give ourselves to the Lord over this, over these things. And that will move us in the right direction. So my desire is just to start at the beginning, see our knowledge increase, and then with that and the wisdom that comes along with it, then begin to apply that knowledge 
in our lives in small steps as we begin to move in the correct direction. And then putting what we know to understand into practice and, and we'll get as far as we can each time we're together in the Word and we won't hurry through it because I think it's going to be enjoyable for you and it's going to be a blessing for you and you're going to find where your security has been all along and who owns everything anyway. And we're going to look at some of that in just a few minutes. But this is the time we're going to lay that foundation of a biblical view of material things which will help you get to the point where you can say, okay, I can see how this is the case and this is where I want to go. Now, what I want to do in just the time we have remaining is I want to start in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. And this is where the Lord, and I'll give you some context here as we kind of look around and let the Bible explain the Bible. But this is where the Lord is reproving people for being content in the giving of sacrifices. So these are religious people, and they're kind of going through the motions, okay? They're coming and giving the sacrifice like they're supposed to and all of that stuff. And they had grown very prideful in what they thought was a generous faithfulness that somehow obligated God to be favorable to them when their hearts were really far from him. And, and he says, he says in, in the previous verse, he says, honor me and be thankful and pay your vows to me and do what you say you're going to do. And he says, you know, I'm not reproving you. And you can read this on your own. He says, I'm not reproving you for offering sacrifices, but do you think I eat and drink those sacrifices? Do, do, do you think I need those in order to survive? He goes, I don't. I don't need them. Because in verse 10, he says, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountain and everything that moves in the field is mine. And then he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. So there's this idea that what they were doing was sufficient, and they were bringing it to him, and he was obligated to be kind to them because they were being so, quote-unquote, generous with their giving. And he just says, listen, your heart is far from me, and you kind of somehow think that I need this stuff. Okay, I don't, because every beast of the forest is mine, and all the cattle on every hill, and I know every bird in the mountain, and everything that moves in the field is mine, and if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine, and all it contains, or in its fullness. And then in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, another passage really gives us this idea. Here's the Lord speak, speaking about the future temple. So in the context, people have come back uh, from uh, the, the the dispersion all throughout, and they were in, in captivity in, in Babylon, and, and the northern kingdom never came back. And so they're coming back here, and, and it's, it's the future temple, and it's the one that's still future for us too. And the people are looking at their uh, destituteness and their ravaged land, and they're lamenting over their inability to raise up a temple that even is a shadow of the Sol Solomonic temple. They have one, but it isn't anything near what Solomon had. And they're feeling very badly about that. And they don't think they'll ever be to the point where they'll be able to do something that's even similar to what their history was concerning where they are now and how the land is ravaged and they have nothing. And listen to what the Lord says. And he really encourages them this way. He says this. He says, I will shake the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Mark this. Mark this. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's like, listen, I know you don't have anything and you're back in the land and you've built this pitiful temple in your mind that isn't anywhere near what it could have been. But understand there's a future coming and the nations are going to come and they're going to bring their gold and they're going to bring their silver and I'm going to build something you won't even imagine. You can't even imagine. And But I think that the important part here as we look at both of these things is these both of these verses give similar instructions. See, God says, it's all mine, all of it. And God is saying to this destitute people who had nothing, who just come out of bondage, the earth is mine and all that's in it. God comes. God says, what comes out of the earth, I created. And the trees that are there to use to create money, I made those too. 
And he wants to reassure them that he alone possesses all things. God says it's all his. It comes out of his earth. It comes out of his creation. It all belongs to him. Everything below it, I would just say this, okay? If you're one of those ones that you lamented the loss of your portfolio and, and all that's perhaps gone now, you may not ever recover that, that stuff. Let me, can I tell you something? That all of that belonged to the Lord. Did you know that? Every cent of all of that, whatever it was, I think we can clearly see, and there are another hundred verses just like this, that all belonged to him. Every cent of it. And he can give it to whomever he wants. And I'm getting ahead of myself, and we'll see this later. He can give it to whomever he wants at any time. He's not limited in any way with all of that. Why? Because it all belongs to him, and he can do with it as he pleases. See. Now, I want you to look at Deuteronomy 8, 13 through 19. And we're going to look at this passage more later because it has so much in it, and we don't have time really to break it down today. But here God is setting up his people to think about a time when there's going to be affluence and they're going to prosper in the land he's given them. And he says this, mark this, he says, so the people are coming into the promised land, and he says that, you know, right now you're nomadic people, you're living in tents, but you're going to come into a land, and we're going to see later, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, I'm going to give you uh, vineyards you didn't plant, and fields you didn't plant, and I'm going to give you all these kinds of things, and cities and walled cities you didn't build, and, uh, and all this is going to be a gift from me to you. And we're going to see all of this, but I'll just say this. In verse 13 he says, And where your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then, he says, your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and its scorpions and its thirsty ground. There was no water and he brought you water out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. In other words, he brought them through poverty. He brought them through destituteness. He brought them where, to the point where they didn't even have water. They didn't even have bread. He says, I gave you all of those things. Remember? Because remember when you were out in the wilderness, in the desert, you had nothing? I provided all that for you. And I used that to test you and to do good for you in the end. Why? So that you would recognize what's the number one thing you wanted them to know? That everything they had had come from whom? It come from him. He says, otherwise, so I tested you and I put you through this so that you, otherwise, you may say in your heart, which is what he just got through saying, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Now, there's a lot more to that passage, and there's more that I want to say about that passage. And we're going to look at it later. But all that to simply say this. Everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. Every facet, every piece, every resource. He designed all the physical properties. He designed all the laws of the universe that work of all the processes of the universe from the smallest chemical reaction to the largest process of nuclear fission and the largest stars in the whole entire universe. They all belong to him. He created the entire thing. And everything in between and beyond any of those things, it all belongs to God. He's the one who made it, and he is the one who owns it. And if there's nothing else you take away from today, understand that, beloved. God is not short 
on funds. He is not short on recess, uh, resources. He owns all of those things. See, And whatever it is he's given you is a direct gift from his hand. Understand that, okay? And if we come away with nothing else, don't say in your heart, your power, your strength of your hand, your, your intelligence, your creativity, your understanding, and you just fill it in there. Don't ever say, that, as, as his people, he said, his people were going to say this, because there's going to come a time, your heart's going to become proud, and you're going to forget the Lord your God. Don't ever say in your heart that by your own power and the strength of your hand, you made this wealth. Because you need to remember, he says, that it's I, the Lord your God, who gives you the power to get what you have. And that's a whole, that, that takes on a whole new nature, doesn't it? That gives us a time and opportunity to praise the Lord for everything we have. Look around you right now. And whatever it is, whatever sits on your table right now, whatever things you have in your house, whatever your bank account may look like, that's all a gift from his hand. It all belongs to him. I don't think we can come away with anything else, can we? It all belongs to him. He's the one who made it, and he owns it. Just to clarify in John 1, 1, as we worship the Lord, John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, so we're talking about Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and mark this, mark this, just to be really specific in our worship and our understanding. This is Christ who walks through the churches and trims the lamps and looks at what's going on and, and makes demands of the church and tells them what they have to do and all of that. This is Christ. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything we just got through saying, and all the processes and all the laws and everything that works together, see, God created everything through the agency of Jesus, two individually distinct roles. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 really confirms that and affirms Jesus' agency in the proper working of everything that has been created. Okay, so it says, for by him all things were created, just so we are clear about that, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So everything's been given to us, and who is it to bring glory to? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's more important than all of it. He is before all of it. And by him, he holds all things together. So God created it all. He owns it all. He makes it all work like it should. And he's also the one who will cause it to cease when he remakes everything. And he's going to roll up the heaven like a scroll. And he's going to consume the earth and all its elements with fire. And he's going to remake all of it. Okay? It all belongs to him. And that's what owners do if they want to. They can change it, they can tear it down, they can remodel it, they can reass uh, reassess it, they can do anything they want, and he's going to. He is, and he will. And there is, and here's the point of these verses, beloved, and with this we're going to close, okay? Especially from Deuteronomy. God knows, now mark this, okay? God knows that there are tremendous resources here in what he has made. That's not a surprise. And we're going to see other passages that say, you know, give me the hills to dig out copper and iron. And there's resources that you're going to have, be able to tap. These things are known to the Lord. And he has marked this. If he owns it all and he has made it all and he sustains it all from every process everywhere, then he knows this too. He has placed reserves in the earth and they represent tremendous opportunity. 
And, remember, God tells us people in Deuteronomy 8, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who's giving you the power to make wealth. And beloved, it hasn't changed at all from then till now. It is exactly the same. It isn't something to be ashamed of. The earth isn't a living being somehow being defrauded because those resources are there that the Lord has made and he's given people the ability to, to tap them. The Lord has made the earth for people and he's filled it with good things for people and man isn't the problem. Perhaps regardless of what a 17-year-old girl from Switzerland may scream at us from time to time, man is not the problem. The Lord made it all. He owns it all. He designed it to be used and harvested and turned into things, and he gives the power to do all of that. Okay? And we saw in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, who richly provides us, the Lord richly provides us all things to enjoy, and not just to be sad because somehow we have something. Okay? Somehow, to, like we're guilty of some crime because the Lord has provided us with some things. Listen, Wherever we are and whatever resources we have, that's from the Lord's hand, okay? And perhaps the way that you have used them uh, was with, without wisdom, and the Lord has allowed some circumstances to come on your life to change your course. Perhaps uh, you haven't, you've hoarded stuff that doesn't belong to you, and, you, and then the same thing happened that Proverbs says happens. You hold back what's due, and you find only want. So there's a lot of things that are in play here. But the most important thing is that what we want to do is get a biblical view of material resources material possessions, so that we can understand what we're supposed to do in the church with what we have. Because there's no way we can get to this point and understand how we're supposed to give and be earnest to give and want to meet needs and all those kinds of things if we haven't got to the point where we understand where it all comes from anyway. See, if we still mark it out as our own and somehow we generated it and so it's at our discretion to do what we want, and it is in some respects, but as we bring our will and submission to the Lord, we're going to find that perhaps he has some other things he'd like to do with it. But he hasn't said, do it, and you're going to be less. He said, do it, and you'll be blessed. And that's what's going to happen. Okay, and we'll see this as we work our way through. And I didn't mean to rhyme that. It was accidental. Okay, I'm not that smart. But the Lord made it all. He owns it all. He's designed it to be used. He's designed it to be harvested. He's designed to be turned into things. And he gives the power to do all that. And so in his supply of all of these things to people, he isn't limited by our limitations, okay? He isn't restricted in what he can do through uh, us by our sacrifices or our giving. He doesn't need to eat the sacrifices like he told his people in Israel. He's not hungry. He owns all of it already. And the people in Macedonia obviously knew this. And we'll look at it more next time, the Lord will. I'd like you to bow with me in prayer as we were to close our time out together. Wherever you are, just bow your head. Let's pray and give our hearts to the Lord. Lord, it is our desire very much to uh, to rejoice in your word today, to rejoice in our fellowship with one another around uh, around Lynchburg, perhaps around the country, around the world. So, Lord, we're grateful for that, that fellowship. You know it. You see it. And every house is a church now, not just in every uh, neighborhood. And, Lord, we're so grateful for that. Two or more are gathered in your name. You're there in the midst of them. And so your your spirit is present where we have gathered in your name, and we certainly have. We're grateful for that. And Lord, we thank you again for your word, as we say often. It is our desire really to understand it, to not uh, put things into it, perhaps that it doesn't say, but just understand its clear meaning. And we really desire to know your mind on all of this, and I think that we're beginning to understand it. We're so clear about it. But you own everything. 
that gives us a new perspective on what we have claimed so far to be our own. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you have provided richly for us to enjoy. Uh, many of us, really, we can't hardly believe what you've done in your faithfulness. But it is just your faithfulness and just the way that you've put it all together. But Paul says, even with just a roof over our head and clothes to wear and food to eat, we can be content. And Lord, we know that if we've come to the right understanding of all these things, uh, perhaps that will be the case sometimes. And we're okay either way. And we're not in sin because we have a lot, and we're not in sin because we don't have a lot. We just are where you want us to be at this point. And perhaps uh, there'd be some changes that need to be made in the lives of those who listen, that uh, some some realignment of the way funds are used and looked at so that uh, we're doing with them what you would have us to do and we become like the Macedonian believers where we're looking for needs inside the church and we're making sure that we're giving faithfully and sacrificially and uh, in proportion. But Lord, all those for the future as we look first to see where this all comes from and how you look at it. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us understanding as we look at your word. We might, it might be opened up for us. It might accomplish as we read each passage during the weeks to come. It might accomplish in us what you would have it to accomplish. And Lord, we pray, as before we close, for our nation, our people, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It's not calling. The prophet wasn't calling for unredeemed people to humble themselves and pray and seek your face, Lord, and turn from your wicked ways. He's calling on people who are called by your name. Following the verse that says, when things come on your land, including pestilence. And so, Father, for whatever reason you've allowed this to come, we know that you are over all of it and that it is ultimately for your glory. But we want to be where we want it. We need to be as your people. Humble, pray, seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. And Lord, we ask and call out that you would hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and pray that you'll heal our land and draw many, Father, many as you are already, many to seek out the truth of the scriptures. Thank you for so many new hits on you version. Thank you for so many new prayer requests. Thank you for around the world, many, many think. Uh, thinking and, and seeking opportunity to know you. Lord, I pray that we'll be the light we need to be. pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, whom we long to see, and all God's people said, Amen.